0: If you want to grab a seat, and if you're already in a seat, go ahead and open up. If you've got a Bible in front of you or on a phone or something, you can open up to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be right in the middle of that chapter and work with verses 19 down to 25 this morning. Um, In fact, I I want to start by just reading that passage, and then we'll pray and jump in. It says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, and encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray, and then we'll start to, to walk our way through that. God, thank you for this morning and for the opportunity to come into worship. God, to just declare together and to celebrate that uh, you so love the world that you sent your one and only Son that whoever would believe on him would be saved by your grace. Um, God, I pray that, that that truth would not ever be something that uh, we grow cold toward, but instead that that would always stir joyful, uh, a joyful, grateful response in our hearts. God, that we would always praise you for that truth. God, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would take the words of uh, your scripture, God, press them into our hearts. Uh, help us to see the, th- the three commands in here and to see them in response to the gospel. God, give us a, a passion to obey them. God, write them on our hearts like your word says that you will, and then embolden us to walk in obedience to them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, The first three verses, 19, 20, and 21, in this passage are essentially a three-phrase summary of all the theological stuff that the first nine and a half chapters of Hebrews says. Starts with the word, therefore. Uh, So in response to all of this theological truth, the author of Hebrews is going to give us some commands or say, this is how you should live then. But first, there's a little summary kind of bookended inside there. Then there are three commands. They're they're all set off by the word let us. Let us draw near. That's verse 22. Let us hold on. That's verse 23. And then uh, let us watch out for one another or consider one another. That's verses 24 and 25. So a summary statement. We'll look at that briefly. And then three commands. And the goal this morning is just to take those three commands and say, What are they, and what does that actually look like? How do we actually live that today in our world? And so, it should be pretty straightforward, but let's start with verses 19, 20, and 21. Therefore, brothers and sisters, and then two statements, two things that we're living in light of. Number one, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus— Then the second statement is actually in verse 21. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, in the middle, we're told how that happened. He inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain. He, that's Jesus. The curtain is uh, the scarlet and purple veil that separated the holy place in in the tabernacle or temple from the most holy place. So, because we have a way through that curtain. Verse 19, we enter with boldness. Verse 21, we have this great high priest. He's made it possible for us to enter into the presence of the Lord. He's done that through the giving of himself as a sacrifice, the blood of Jesus, the end of 19, through his flesh, end of verse 20 we can get behind the curtain. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. That's what all of Hebrews up to this point has been saying. You, brother and sister in Christ, can go directly into the presence of the Lord. You don't need anyone to do it on your behalf. You don't need someone to go in there with a sacrifice on your behalf. You don't need someone to do like ritual cleansing or uh, bathing practices in order to get themselves holy enough. You don't have to wear the right clothes. You don't have to bring your list of accomplishments or your moral qualifications. Jesus, his body, his blood, has made it so that you can go boldly through that curtain. And in the big kind of context of Hebrews, the author is writing to Jewish Christians who would have understood that for thousands of years, their people stood far away while one person went behind that curtain. And while they stood and watched, it was with like a trepidation and a trembling that that one person would do everything right so that the sacrifice of atonement on the day of atonement would work. That they wouldn't perish while they were back there behind the curtain. That they would have worn the right stuff and done the right rituals and performed the sacrifice correctly and their sins from the last year would be atoned for and then for another year they could you know have peace of mind before they came back to that place not anymore hebrews says you go into that space with boldness confidence you go through the curtain When Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn in two. And now you and I have the ability, thanks to the work of Jesus Christ, to go into the presence of God by ourselves on our own. Therefore, because of that, the big message in Hebrews is that Jesus is better. We don't need a priest to go into the holiest place on our behalf. Jesus is better. His sacrifice is better. He makes it so that we can go into that space. We don't need some other kind of human mediator. Hebrews started by comparing Jesus and Moses. We don't need someone like Moses. We have Jesus, and he's better than Moses. He's our ambassador, he is our mediator. We don't have to take a sacrifice into that place. Jesus is better and his sacrifice. Put an end to all of those. We don't have to go to a tabernacle or a temple. You can go into the presence of the Lord behind that curtain, quote unquote, anytime, any place, in any season of life, in any circumstance or setting, you've got access to that place thanks to Jesus. We don't have to stand far away like the Israelites did. We can draw near. And so at this point, the thrust in Hebrews is because of that wonderful reality, here is how you are to live. And the text gives us three commands, three different times. Let us fill in the blank. The first one is right there in verse 22. Let us draw near. That's the first command. Nothing tricky in those words. We can approach him. We can come to him. We are to draw near. Jesus has opened up the way for us to be ushered into the presence of God and we should continually draw near. We draw near for the first time by faith in Jesus. Our sin is forgiven by God's grace and we're able to come near to the Lord for the very first time. No longer does our sin separate us from a holy God. And then as followers of Jesus we continually draw near that is like duty number one for a follower of Christ we live all of our days running toward God's presence Jewish people the Israelite people in the Old Testament they spent thousands of years thinking that they needed to keep their distance but now we can approach him humbly Jesus says in John 15 that it's not just that we approach him once by faith in Christ and then we're good. No, he says we abide in that place. We abide in the presence of the Lord. We remain there. We stay there. We draw near continually. And we do that through the gracious gift of Jesus. That's verses 19, 20, and 21. That's the reminder. Because of Jesus, we draw near. We do so with two things. Look at the rest of verse 21. With a true heart in full assurance of faith, and then second, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed in pure water. A true heart, that's what we draw near with, literally means with wholeheartedness or all of your heart. No halfway faith in Jesus. Faith that saves and gives us the boldness to draw near to God is a wholehearted faith, a faith that is fully convinced, a faith that says, I'm taking all of who I am and I'm setting it squarely upon the work of Jesus Christ as the only means by which I could ever be made right before the Lord. Wholehearted all of who you are. It's what it is to kind of flesh out what Jesus says in John 4, where anyone that would come to the Lord must come in spirit and in truth. Only one way, the truth of the gospel, and in spirit with just all of who we are, a wholeheartedness. That's how we are to worship. You bring the fullness of your being, you place it all upon Christ, and you draw near to the Lord. You also do that with a clean heart perfect conscience. You don't have to bring, like I said, your list of accomplishments. You don't have to bring necessary sacrifices. You don't have to try to stack up your moral goodness as evidence or something on your side that you should be able to go into the presence of the Lord. No, you come standing upon the work of Christ who has perfected you. That's what we saw in the previous section of Hebrews chapter 10. That conscience perfected by Jesus is a part of what allows you to feel the boldness to go into the presence of the Lord, to draw near to him. Your job, my job, as a follower of Jesus, is to stand upon his work and draw near to the Lord. That sort of boldness, right? Think, picture yourself in your living room. Think of yourself there, whatever that looks like at your house, and the doorbell rings. Now, let's just say 20 years ago, or something, when the doorbell rang, you got up and you just answered it. Now when the doorbell rings, you open up an app on your phone, right? Who's out there? Pull up my ring camera. Why do they want to talk to me, most importantly? And number two, why did they not just text me if they wanted to talk to me, right? If you're anything like me, when the doorbell rings, I just get really quiet. I like freeze. Don't move, they won't know I'm here, right? Now, put yourself on the other side of that equation. You go to someone's house. Might be a close friend. Uh, You ring the doorbell. Nothing's happening. You look at the little ring camera. Hi, it's me. We like each other. I'm safe. Hoping that when they see your smiling, waving face on their screen phone, they'll deem you worthy of access into their presence, right? And they'll come to the door and open it. When I was in high school, middle school, high school, my best friend from childhood. Uh, By that time, I just had the access code to the garage door. When I went over to his house, I didn't go to the front door and ring the doorbell. I went to the garage door. I punched in the four little numbers. I hit the pound sign. Then I walked into their living room and just announced my presence. Rogers, I'm here. Now, if no one was home, I just looked around and thought, I'll just wait till they get here. And I just sat down, And then when they got home and came in through the garage door, there would be Tim eating their food using their cable or something, right? Just sitting there. I had boldness because I knew the relationship. I could go into that place and I didn't need to like ring the doorbell and hope that they would grant me access. You've placed your faith in Jesus. His body, his blood gives you that kind of boldness into the presence of the Lord. You don't have to tiptoe up to him. He wants you to come. You've got perfect access there to him. And so you draw near. Now the question is, what does that actually look like? How do we actually do that? And we could, you know, like enumerate a list of spiritual disciplines. And well, you draw near to the Lord by Bible study and prayer and through fasting or through silence and solitude or whatever. You know, we could put together a long list of those, but I don't think that that's really the starting point. There's something at the base of that that you would draw near to the Lord by humble submission. Romans 12, one and two, right? The letter of Romans, 11 chapters of theological stuff. And then Romans 12, one and two. Therefore, brothers and sisters, starts just like this passage. In view of God's mercy, I urge you to offer your lives as living sacrifices. How does Hebrews 10:19 go? Therefore, brothers and sisters, then he spells out God's mercy. Since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through Jesus, since we have a great high priest, now what does he say? Draw near. Present yourself humble, submissive to him, available. That's the key. You present yourself to the Lord, standing on the sacrifice of Jesus and just humbly submit yourself to him, available to whatever it is that he wants. We turn to him in all things, look to him in all things, seek him in all things. And we do so knowing that the only reason we can is because he's made it so that we can through the giving of his son, Jesus. And we just keep going back to that place, humble and submissive, keep showing up keep presenting ourselves. A.B. Simpson in his book Holy Sanctified says it this way. We give ourselves to him fully, understanding that we do not pledge the strength or goodness required to meet our consecration, but that we take him for all and he takes us, making us all that he requires and keeping us in all his perfect will as we let him through the habit of full surrender. Submission. No matter what your circumstances are, no matter what life situation you might be in, you stand upon the work of Jesus and just humbly present yourself to the Lord. Draw near to him. I want to describe a, a life season here that is not unique to any one human being. In fact, uh, God's people throughout generations have wrestled with this. And it's where whatever your circumstances are, whatever You know, maybe it's uh, an illness that's hit. Maybe it's a questioning about direction in life. It could be that you find yourself in the middle of a particular sin struggle or what have you, but there's something going on inside of you and you start to think that God feels distant. You've maybe even like uttered those words before. I don't know, I'm just in this season of life where God feels really distant. He feels far away from me. First, let's combat that with a little bit of truth. Number one, God's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. So if we just work with it logically, it would be impossible that he would be present everywhere in the entire world and yet put like a mile radius around you and say, I'm not going in there. He's always present. Number two, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you're in Christ. Like that's a reality in your life. You have been hidden with Christ, and now I no longer live, but he lives in me. That's the words of Paul. And so you're always there. That's never going to change. Number three, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you. And he's there all the time. And he's never going to leave. And so the reality is that God is not distant. So what does that leave us with? I think there are certainly times in Psalms... Attests to this, where God seems to go silent almost. You're seeking an answer to something in prayer or direction or whatever the case, and, and you think to yourself, I keep showing up humbly, submissively, and, and it's just like God's not answering. That's fair. David makes those same kind of statements How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Psalms is full of that kind of language. So maybe God goes silent. The other side on that is maybe we're not showing up in humble submission. Maybe what seems like God's silence is actually that I'm showing up trying to impose my will upon the Lord. And it's not that he's not present. It's that he keeps saying no and offering me something different. I just don't want it. That's a possibility. And so it's not that God is distant. It's that I'm rejecting whatever it is that he's lovingly trying to place in front of me. Here's what I think is the most typical reason for that. Whatever's going on in our life, we present ourselves to the Lord. It seems like he's not responding or he's not answering. And our heart or our mind, we start to get that little thought in there that, Maybe God doesn't care. Maybe he's not paying attention. And it is frightening how fast your flesh can seize upon that thought and then say, what you need to do is draw near to this other thing. You should draw near to this substance It will make you feel the way you want to feel. You should draw near to these images on a screen. That will give you the intimacy that you're seeking. You should draw near to this relationship and that will give you the affirmation that you desire. You should draw near to this money and there's the security that you really want. You should draw near to this corporate status at your job and there's the respect that you really desire. And then your flesh tells you, and it'll never fail. And in that moment, sometimes we choose to believe that. It's not that God is far away. It's that we've chosen to give ourselves closeness to something else. And eventually, what's destined to happen is that that thing cannot live up to the promises that it just made you. And it will let you down. It has to. It cannot bear the weight of kind of the hope that we put on those things. The only thing that can is God. And so when our flesh pops up that particular uh, thought, you should draw near to this other thing. We've got to be able to answer it with truth. That's command number two. Look at verse 23. Hold on. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Why? since he who promised is faithful. Command number two is to hold on. We draw near and we continually draw near. We abide there in the Lord. And then command number two says, and once you draw near, hold on. You grab a grip there and you just hang on for dear life. I'm never letting go. I've got my hands, you know, like clenched there around the gospel and there's not room for me to open them to hold something else. I'm holding on to the gospel. Instead, I'm holding on to Jesus. That's our confession of faith. That Jesus is the means by which we draw near. Jesus is the means by which our heart will be fully satisfied. We cling to that, knowing that he's clinging to us. We hold on to our faith in all of God's promises. That's the second part of this. We hold on to him because we know that he's faithful. He's shown himself to be faithful to his people in the giving of his son. With that faithfulness in mind, we can trust him to be faithful with everything else that he's promised. So what's it look like to hold on? It looks like regular reminders of the promises of God. The answer to that is actually just tucked into the verse. He who promised is faithful. We have to remind ourselves of that. I don't know all the circumstances and settings that people came into the room bearing this morning. You know, maybe you came in with a particular financial issue that was really weighing on you or stressing you out. Maybe you came in with a relational issue or a parenting issue that was really laying a heavy burden on you. Maybe you came in in the middle of particular temptations or sin struggles. We need to be ready to meet those with the promises of God the moment that it feels like maybe God is distant, we need to remind ourselves that he is never going to leave or forsake us so we can hold on. Maybe in the middle of a particular season of life that seems challenging or a particular sanctification struggle that's happening within us, we need to remind ourselves that God is always working for our good in those things. He's promised that. We can hold on to it. Maybe it is a financial situation or a job situation. We need to remind ourselves that he loves and cares for the details of your life. Jesus says as much. Look at the flowers of the field. God clothed them. Don't you think he cares more for you? Right? We hold on to those kinds of promises. We hold on to the promise that he's overcoming evil, that he's taking us to glory, that he's gonna make everything right in the end, that one day he'll heal every sickness, that he's going to wipe away all the tears. Hold on to those promises. He will be faithful to every single one of his promises recorded in scripture. And so we give ourselves those reminders. They're the means by which we continually draw near. These first two are reciprocal. Part of the way that you keep drawing near is by continuing to remind yourself of the promises of God. And sometimes the means by which you need to remind yourself of the promises of God is to draw near, to get into his word, to get into prayer, allow another believer to speak into your life. That's actually the third one. Because the first two, I think one of the implications here is that we cannot do them alone. That drawing near and holding on requires help, and that's verses 24 and 25. And let us watch out for one another. That's the command, watch out. Literally consider one another. Draw near to God, keep holding on, and consider one another and how you might help them do those two things. You can't do the first two all by yourself. We were not designed to do the first two, all by ourselves. And so we look out for one another. We're proactive in watching out for each other, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, the word there for watch out is consider. It's the exact same word from Hebrews chapter three, where we were told to consider Jesus, that we would actively, it's a proactive noun, our verb, that we would actively consider Christ, thinking about him turning our mind to him intentionally. That's the same way now that we're told that we should look out for one another, that we would be active and intentional, proactive in considering each other. What does that look like? Well, the rest of verses 24 and 25 tell us. Number one, that we provoke one another to love and good works. Number two, that we don't neglect uh, meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. And number three, that we encourage each other, and all the more so are as the day approaches. So let's just take those pieces. That's relational intentionality. That's the key. It takes work. It takes effort. We've got to move toward one another. First, to provoke one another to love and good works. Your translation may say something along the lines of stir up one another or spur on one another. Provoke is the right word here, and I want to explain why. The Greek term, is paroxysmos, which is like an irritation or an agitation, an exasperation. We get the English word paroxysm from that. We don't use the word paroxysm very much, but it means like a violent action. If a car were to come through the intersection right over here, run the red light and get out of control and come down this hill and smash into the stone wall over here, there would be violent action against that wall, paroxysm. The author of Hebrews is saying that you consider each other, you watch out for one another so that you might agitate each other to love and good work. You might provoke one another, that you might violently prod one another toward love and good work. Now the violence isn't actually to each other. I'm not saying that if your brother or sister in Christ gets a little apathetic that you like punch them in the face or something. Love is the controlling idea here. We lovingly provoke one another to love and good works. We agitate one another toward that which would go on the offensive against sin and brokenness in our world, good works. Requires that we're intentional about watching out for or considering one another though. I need to know how it is that I can agitate you toward love and good works. You need to know how it is that you could prod, provoke, stir up, a brother and sister toward obedience, loving obedience to Christ. I want you to do loving good works that make the devil look at those and think, wow, they're being violent toward my cause. They're really taking steps against the evil that I, and the confusion and the brokenness that I want to create. Look, I can't do that for you unless I'm intentional about watching out. Think back to when you were a child. You went on like a long road trip. You're six or seven hours deep into the car ride and boredom is starting to win its battle against you. And you look over at your sibling who you've spent, let's say, 12 years watching and studying and considering. And sometimes we just like to fight. So you think to yourself, I'm gonna do that one thing. The one thing that I know with 100% certainty will cause that person to go absolutely nuclear, and you do that thing, and World War III explodes in the back seat of that vehicle, and mom and dad are now in the front saying, I will turn this car around. You agitate. You provoke. I have a friend who uh, lives in Chicago, and, you know, with fair... Ferret- Regularity, we text back and forth, but every once in a while, we'll go through a spell where neither one of us has reached out to the other person. Um, and I know with 100% certainty that I can start a conversation with him if I just say something disparaging about the career of Carmelo Anthony. Like if I just make one negative comment about Carmelo Anthony's MBA career, I can initiate a 30-minute conversation with this individual that then we can turn into something more positive. I know how to agitate him into conversation. We're to know how to provoke one another to love and good work. It takes intentionality. The second piece is do not neglect meeting together. There's a simple reflection here. Jesus had a body, and he showed up in that body in order to serve humanity, and we're called to do likewise. Do not disembody your Christian experience. Be present, show up. And when you show up, come in looking to serve. What does that serving look like? Well, at the very least, Hebrews says, on the front side of the do not neglect meeting together, provoke one another to love and good work. On the back side of it, encourage one another. So at the very least, we show up with the body of believers and serve by provoking each other to greater love and to greater good work in light of the gospel and by encouraging one another. What happens in this place on a Sunday morning is a group endeavor. Now, I'm typically the one that's up here. And so it's absolutely my goal on a Sunday morning to provoke our congregation to love and good work, to encourage our congregation, to remind our congregation of the promises of God that you might hold on, to encourage you to draw near to him thanks to the work of Jesus. That's absolutely my goal, but that should be a fraction of the ministry that happens here on a Sunday morning. I'm one person among 1,100 or something that come in on any given Sunday. And so there are a lot of people that can be participating and should be participating in this kind of ministry in light of the gospel. That's what the author of Hebrews says. You don't neglect meeting with one another because when you're together, you provoke each other to love and good work and you encourage one another. You encourage each other to hold on. You encourage each other to draw near. You do that as a group. I'm kind of preaching to the choir here because you're present. We gather together with a mindset that says, I'm a participant, not a spectator. But that requires gathering together at all. And so I wanna like tear down the third wall here for a minute and just spend a second talking to someone who might be listening on podcast or watching the video, someone who might regularly do that. You're cutting your Christianity off at the knees if that's the way that you typically do church. Church is not a sermon. A sermon is not church. A sermon is a sermon. Church is a group of people that gather together to make a big deal out of Jesus, to draw near to the presence of the Lord, to hold on to their faith as a group, to encourage one another, to provoke one another. If your primary way of interacting with church is via an online sermon, what you're doing is mirroring our culture's tendency for isolation rather than obeying Scripture's words that we draw near to one another, that we encourage one another. Technology is a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's given us the means to have access to Christian content from people all over the world at a rate that no other generation has ever had the opportunity to engage with. And yet, our flesh will take that and turn it into a hindrance to obedience. I don't need to go to church. I'll just listen. In fact, it's one of the reasons that struggle is one of the reasons why we at LCF have resisted live streaming services. I'm not trying to make it easier for you to be disobedient to the Lord. I'm all for you engaging with a sermon and with worship, but I want you to do so in an embodied experience, not digitally. And so if you're on the podcast, and you're typically on the podcast, I want to encourage you, go join a church. It doesn't have to be this one. Don't neglect meeting. But if you're here in the room, there are times where you can't make it. It happens. You go on vacation, something comes up in a schedule-wise, you're sick, the weather's really bad, and you genuinely can't travel here. Uh, those times happen. What does Hebrews say in response to that? Just don't make it a habit. Look, we, we understand schedules and being human, and particularly in a persecuted place, it might literally risk your life to try to get there. And so the author of Hebrews says, don't, don't neglect meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. There could be times when you can't be together and meet together. Just don't make it a habit. When you have to miss, don't let it become the norm. And then the last piece of this, what does relational intentionality look like? It looks like encouraging each other. Encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we're watching out, considering one another, then one of the things we're going to be able to pick up on is what is encouraging to someone else? What is it that just really kind of pumps air into the tires of my brother or sister in Christ? In love, we offer that to each other. Life in a broken world is hard. It's not wrong, it's not weak, it's not selfish to need some spurring on from our sisters and brothers in Jesus from time to time. We encourage one another, encourage one another to draw near. Encourage one another with the promises of God and his faithfulness to those. Encourage one another to press into good works, to be present with the body, to love in a greater capacity. And the author of Hebrews says, And all the more as you see the day approaching. Your translation might have the word day in capital letters. That's because it's talking about a specific day, the day that Jesus returns. Matthew 24 verse 12 Jesus says, lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Look, our broken world is only going to get darker before it's fully and finally made right. The world isn't going to slide or kind of slip its way into increasing holiness. The reason we need to encourage each other all the more as we see the day approaching is because it's going to get harder and harder in this broken world until Jesus finally returns. And so the degree to which we encourage each other today ought to outpace what we were doing yesterday. And the degree that we encourage each other tomorrow ought to to outpace what we were doing today. I can feel that it's hard to live in a broken world. You can feel that it's hard to live in a broken world. And sometimes we just need to encourage each other in the process. That's part of what it is to live in relationship with one another, to live intentionally in relationship with one another When I think about that encouragement specifically, the very end of verse 25, the picture that comes to mind for me is the scene in uh, the gospels where there's a man who is paralyzed and he's laying on his mat and Jesus is in town preaching and teaching in this house. And so his friends gather him up on his mat and they run him to that house. And when they get there, the house is so full that they can't get inside. And so they take this man on his mat up onto the roof and they dig a hole there and they lower him down in front of Jesus. Look, there will be times in your life where the simple act of reminding yourself of the promises of God seems overwhelming and impossible. What you need in that moment are friends who are willing to show up in your presence and literally kind of carry your mat back into the presence of the Lord. You need those people in your life and you need some people in your life that you would be willing to do that for. That if the doorbell rang at two in the morning and you flipped open your ring camera and saw that it was them, you would run down because you knew that they needed something, encouragement. They needed help. We need those people in our lives. We can achieve that in here on a Sunday morning. Most of y'all sit in the exact same spot every week. I hope you're getting to know the people that you always sit next to. So there can be some of that here that you start to know the people around you. You can see when they come in and they look a little more heavy laden or a little more burdened than the week before and you can offer some encouragement to them. But this is a big place. It's pretty easy to slide in and out of here on Sunday morning and be a spectator rather than a participant. It's fairly simple to come into this church and worship together in total anonymity. One of the ways we try to break through that is by offering... Uh, some spaces where you can get into smaller groups of people, whether that's a small group or a discipleship group or a men's or a women's study. It might even be just serving in a ministry where you're, you're regularly involved with the same people all the time. Those are opportunities to put yourself in a place to be relationally intentional. And we encourage you to take advantage of those. Tim Adams is uh, the person on staff who kind of oversees that, but you could connect with anyone on our staff and we would love to start that process for you. I wanna end with this. There's a Danish concept. It's actually a Scandinavian concept, but there's specifically a Danish word that doesn't have a direct English translation. What it has to deal with is how it is that people in Scandinavian countries manage long, harsh, dark winters. The best way to think about that word, the Danish word is "huga," H-Y-G-G-E. The best way to think about that, to conceptualize it, is as as an internal, interpersonal coziness or contentedness. The Norwegian equivalent of the word, which I couldn't pronounce, is often described as an interpersonal intimacy that creates an internal warmth. Huga has multiple aspects, but one of the cornerstones has to do with community. How do people in those areas of the world remain content through long, dark winters? They do so via community, long gatherings in the presence of others. That's the cornerstone, that there's something about those gatherings, the fellowship, the encouragement, the joy, the laughter, that kind of holds the darkness of winter at bay, pushes it back. Do not neglect meeting with one another. Watch out for one another. Provoke one another. Encourage one another. That's the way that the Christian community holds at bay the darkness of a broken world. Why? So that we can all draw near and hold on. Those are the first three commands in the book of Hebrews. In light of what Jesus has done for you, draw near to the Lord. Hold on to your faith in him, remembering his promises and watch out for each other so that you can push back the darkness far enough that everybody keeps drawing near and keeps holding on. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and we'll, we'll close our time worshiping together. God, thank you for this morning, uh, for the chance to come and to look at your word, to worship you. God, to be together as a body, to draw near to you as a body, uh, to remind ourselves and sing about and hear from scripture your faithfulness to your promises, God. Uh, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take these words. Lord, press them into our hearts. Write them there on our hearts and on our minds, Lord, and give us uh, a passion for obedience to them. God, would we be a church whose individuals and who collectively draws near to you in all things, humbly submitting ourselves and presenting ourselves before you? Would we be a group of people who hold on to our faith, God, reminding ourselves of your faithfulness to your promises. And would we be a church that watches out for each other, considers each other, knows one another, provokes each other to love and to good work, doesn't fail to meet together, but is intentional about moving toward one another and encourages one another as we do. Lord, we wanna be an obedient people. Would your spirit write that onto our hearts and show us what it looks like to walk forward in light of the gospel, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up.